Asapura Sutta. The longer or greater discourse in Asapura. And last time we came to the section in the Sutta in which the Buddha is explaining the attainment of the stages of samadhi concentration called the jhanas, the meditative absorption. And as I explained last time, the jhanas are attained through the practice of what is called samatha bhavana, that's the development of serenity or samadhi bhavana the development of concentration. And when the meditator chooses an object for developing concentration, he applies the mind repeatedly again and again to the same simple object, attempting to eliminate all distracting thoughts all the upsurges of the five mental hindrances. And the act of applying the mind to an object of concentration activates certain mental factors which have the function of directing the mind onto the object and absorbing the mind into the object. These factors are called in Pali the Janangas, the Jhana factors, the factors of absorption. The Buddha enumerates five Jhana factors. In Pali, Vitaka, Vichara, Piti, Sukha, and Chitta-se-kagata. That is, vitaka is, we translate, applied thought or initial application of the mind. Vitaka is the factor which directs the mind onto the object, which places the mind on the object. Then there is vichara, which is the mental examining of the object. It's not the examination with insight, like vipassana, but it's just repeated inspecting of the object. Or the commentary uses the expression, it's the anchoring of the mind onto the object. You know, when a ship comes into the port, in order to remain firm at the harbor without drifting along the waves, being thrown about by the waves, the ship drops an anchor and the anchor keeps the ship fixed. And so this vichara, this examination of the object, helps to keep the mind fixed and firm on the object. And the main activity of the mind in developing concentration 
involves this repeated application of vitaka and vichara. Application or focusing of the mind and examination of the object. And as the mind is repeatedly brought back to the object, then one-pointedness begins to develop a kagata. The mind begins to become concentrated. And as the mind becomes concentrated, there arises joy, piti, sometimes translated rapture. That's a delight, elation, exhilaration, because all the disturbances and distractions of the mind have been pushed aside, great energy has arisen, and the mind begins to really enjoy the flavor of the meditation object. Then when piti arises, it brings along with it the quality called sukha, that is happiness, mental pleasure, so that the mind feels a definite pleasure or happiness in this state of concentration. And so we have these first five, or we have these five jhana factors arisen even in the early stages when concentration is beginning to deepen. And these five factors, as the process of concentration is pursued, the five factors become increasingly strengthened until, especially as the first four factors grow stronger and stronger, they reinforce the fifth jhana factor, one-pointedness, which is the decisive factor in concentrating the mind. And when concentration, when the mind is able to remain in concentration undistractedly on the object, this is a state which is called upachara samadhi, which means access concentration. The mind is not yet in jhana, not in absorption, but it remains undisturbedly concentrated on the object so that it's growing closer and closer to jhana, to absorption. And when the mind gets into upachara samadhi, the five jhana factors are now fairly strong, not yet fully mature, but fairly strong. Then as the practice continues, when the meditator's faculties reach maturity, then these five jhana factors become strengthened to such a degree that they bring the mind to actually a different level of consciousness. That level or stage is called jhana, which we can perhaps render as absorption in the object. And now vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekagata, all these five are present simultaneously and so strong that the mind is actually completely plunged into the object. And we discussed that attainment of the first jhana last time, but we'll just review the formula. 
Okay, this is in paragraph 15, section 15, that after the meditator has abandoned the five hindrances, then quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, he enters upon and abides in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought, that's vitaka and vichara, with happiness and pleasure, or I would say with rapture and happiness, piti and sukha, born of seclusion. Here the word seclusion, viveka, means the seclusion of the mind from the five hindrances, from all disturbances or distracting thoughts. Then the Buddha continues that the meditator makes that rapture and happiness born of seclusion, drench, steep, fill, and pervade the body as though it were actually covering and permeating the entire physical body so that there is no part of the body which is not pervaded by this pleasure, by this rapture and happiness born of seclusion. Then the Buddha uses this very lovely simile that just as a skilled barber or bathman or his apprentice were to take bathing powder and mix it with water, then he would create a ball of soap which is so constituted that the water entirely permeates all of the soap. So there's no little particle of soap which is not permeated with water, and so that the water is still contained by the soap, so that the, no drop of water falls out from the bowl of soap. And so in the same way, the Buddha says, the bhikkhu makes this rapture and happiness born of seclusion, drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body, so that there is no part of his whole body that is not pervaded by that rapture and happiness born of seclusion. Okay, and that is the passage on the first jhana. And now in this section of the sutta, the Buddha is going to show the development of a meditator who reaches all four of the jhanas somebody who will completely perfect the development of samadhi, concentration. And so even though having reached the first jhana, if one wants, one can stop concentration there and go into developing vipassana and then reach the attainment of the path, magga and the fruit, pala. But the Buddha here in this sutta He's showing the complete course of development. And so he will take a meditator who develops all the stages of concentration first. And so now the Buddha proceeds in his description from the first jhana to the second jhana. Now, in the suttas, we don't find the Buddha teaching a particular method for advancing from the first jhana to the second jhana. But 
the technique or method that is to be used is explained in the commentary and works like Visuddhi Magga. In order, according to the Visuddhi Magga, in order for the meditator to be really qualified to advance to the second jhana, first he has to master the first jhana. It's not enough just to be able to enter the first jhana and to dwell in it for some time. But one has to have a very thorough mastery of it so that one can enter into it whenever one wants very easily without a great struggle and without strain and striving but just through the power of determination one can enter into it so that one can remain in it as long as one wants. If one wants to remain in it for ten minutes one will remain for ten minutes, one wants to remain a half an hour, one hour, two hours, three hours, then one can remain for that amount of time. I don't think that one has to be able to enter into it for days on end, I think that would be too extreme, but perhaps for a few hours, two or three hours. And then one has to be able to, to, to master it so that one can emerge from it according to one's determination. In those days they didn't have precise clocks the way we have now, but I think that to master this aspect of emergence, if one, say, enters at 4 p.m. and one wants to emerge at 5 p.m. <laughs> and one has these clocks, these digital clocks with a second ticker, then as soon as the clock hits 5 p.m., as soon as 4.59 turns to 5, then one will come out. <laughs> Maybe that's an extreme, extreme requirement, but one could come out very precisely according to one's determination. And one comes out very naturally so that when one comes out, one is not like in the days, like where am I, what's been happening, but just like getting up from a seat. And so then the first requirement to gain the second jhana is mastery of the first jhana so that one has it completely under one's command. <coughs> then, according to the explanation of the commentaries, one has to see the fault or defect in the first jhana. Because when one attains the first jhana, it's in extremely blissful, pleasant state. Just like the passage describes it here, one is just pervading the entire body with this rapture and bliss. And so, if one doesn't have any guide to understand that jhana, one might think that one has reached the ultimate, one has reached arahanship, that this is Nibbana here and now. But the commentaries say one has to examine that jhana and see that it has certain faults. The main fault is that it still has vitaka and vichara. That's applied thought or application of mind and examination. <coughs> 
And those are considered to be relatively coarse mental states, mental factors. And then one has to be aware that there is a state beyond the first jhana, which is higher, more peaceful, more blissful than the first jhana. That state is the second jhana. And so one becomes clearly aware that there are faults in the first jhana and that there is a more pleasant, more blissful state beyond it. And having understood this, one then takes up the practice of concentration again, making the determination not to enter the first jhana, but to attain the second jhana. Then one continues with the practice of concentration until the faculties reach maturity. And when the faculties reach maturity, then the mind will pass into the second jhana. The way it's described in the suttas, I have to say there seems to be a difference between the way it's described in the suttas and in the commentaries. In the suttas, one gets the impression that the meditator goes from ordinary consciousness into the first jhana, then goes from the first jhana into the second jhana directly. According to the explanation of the commentaries, it doesn't work in that way, but rather one goes... After mastering the first jhana, one is back to ordinary consciousness, then one develops concentration from concentration one goes into this upachara samadhi, then from that upachara samadhi one goes directly into the second jhana when the faculties are mature enough. I guess if the faculties are not more mature enough, then one will just get into the first jhana again. Okay, so when the meditator's faculties are mature, then he will We'll come back to the text now, paragraph 16. With the stilling or subsiding, fading out of a, or dropping away of applied and sustained thought, a bhikkhu enters upon and dwells in the second jhana, which has self-confidence and singleness of mind without applied and sustained thought with happiness and pleasure born of concentration. Okay, that is the basic textual formula, sutta formula for the second jhana. Now I want to represent these changes from jhanas, from one jhana to another by diagram. Okay, so with the attainment of the second jhana, these two coarser factors, grosser factors, of the first jhana have fallen away, dropped away, vitaka and vichara. So that's why this second jhana is described as avitaka avichara, that is, without applied thought 
and examination. So the mind is still aware, still luminous with consciousness, but there's no thought of any kind taking place, no application or directing of the mind to the object, and no examining or inspecting of the object. The mind is aware of the object, but that awareness is taking place, one might say, almost spontaneously, unintentionally, just through the nature of the mind. And there still remains piti and sukha, rapture and happiness. But this rapture and happiness is now described differently in the second jhana from the way it's described in the first jhana. In the first jhana, when the Buddha speaks of piti and sukha, rapture and happiness, he says that it is rapture and happiness born of seclusion, viveka jam piti sukha. That is, this rapture and happiness arise because the mind has been secluded from the five hindrances and from the distracting thoughts, disturbing thoughts. That's the first jhana. But now, the piti and sukha are described as samadhi jhana piti sukha. That is, they are born of concentration. Now, in the second jhana, the samadhi, or concentration, has become very powerful, much more powerful than in the first jhana, particularly because in the first jhana there is still vitaka and vichara, and those are very subtle, in very subtle ways a little disturbing, like very subtle little ripplings of waves on the mind. But in passing to the second jhana, it's like all of those little ripples and waves have just dropped and the mind is just like a clear, silent mirror, completely free from any kind of deformations or distortions. And because of that utterly undisturbed concentration, the piti and sukha, rapture and concentration, become very refined, very elevated, very subtle. So they are called now happiness and pleasure born of concentration. And so these, and then that factor of one-pointedness, that remains as a constant factor. So now because vitaka and vichara are gone, the one-pointedness is also much more elevated, much more subtle. Then the formula that the Buddha uses mentions two other qualities of the mind which are not listed separately as jhana factors probably because they're not directly responsible for 
fixing the mind on the object. So actually one of them is explained in the commentaries to be the equivalent of a kagata. Okay, so these other two factors are set here tra- translated self-confidence that's sampasad in Pali and singleness of mind a kodibhava but the singleness of mind actually is an, a synonym for a kagata for one-pointedness so even though the word the term is different but it's actually identical to one of the jhana factors I think maybe we could indicate that in this diagram. It is quality, some facade and a rendered self-confidence. Actually, the Pali word suggests clarity of mind. The mind is completely clear and free from any kind of disruption or disturbing influences. So, on the one hand, you could call this a state of confidence. On the other, a state of clarity or serenity. Then a kodibhava is singleness of mind or unification of mind. And this is an equivalent term to one-pointedness or to samadhi. And even though a kakata is present in the first jhana as a jhana factor, but in the formula for the first jhana, the Buddha doesn't mention any term like singleness of mind or unification of mind, because the one-pointedness is not yet well-developed. But in moving from the first jhana to the second, the one-pointedness becomes strengthened, And so the Buddha brings in this additional descriptive term, singleness of mind. And then the Buddha continues back to the text. He says, he, the meditator, makes that happiness, that rapture and happiness, born of concentration, drench, steep, fill and pervade this body, so that there is no part of this whole of his whole body unpervaded by the happiness and pleasure born of concentration. Then again he uses a very beautiful simile to indicate how that pervasion takes place. He says it's just as if there were a lake. And the supply of water in that lake was provided by underground springs, so that there will always be a constant supply of fresh water entering the lake from these underground springs. And the lake is not filled by any water coming in from rivers or streams, nor is it filled by the downpour of rain, but it's just continually being refilled by this underground flow of water coming from the underground springs. So then the Buddha says that cool fount of water welling up in the lake from underground would make the cool water drench, steep,
steep, fill and pervade the lake so that there would be no part of the whole lake unpervaded by cool water. In the same way, a bhikkhu makes that rapture and happiness born of concentration, drench, steep, fill and pervade this body so that there is no part of this whole body unpervaded by the happiness and pleasure born of concentration. Okay, so that is the description of the second one. And now the Buddha continues his account with the attainment of the third jhana. And again, if one reads the suttas, it seems as if the meditator just goes from the second jhana to the third jhana. But the actual process for attaining the third jhana, again it's described in the commentaries. And to gain the third jhana, first the meditator has to master the second jhana in the same way so that he can attain it whenever he wants, dwell in it as long as he wants, and emerge from it naturally and easily according to determination. Then after mastering the second jhana, then one examines the flaws or defects in the second jhana. It now seems with the second jhana that one has reached the ultimate state of perfect bliss since now there's just no disturbance at all from vitaka and vichara, from thought and examination. And the rapture and happiness are of a very pure and refined type and the one-pointedness, the absorptive power is just overwhelming. And so if a meditator doesn't have the guidance of the Buddha Dhamma, then he'll just get completely wrapped up in the second jhana and think this is fault is that it still has that factor called piti, rapture or joy. For the ordinary mind, the ordinary person, when we feel joy, then we're satisfied with that and think, wow, this is what I, I really want to be in a state of joy. But if we reflect and consider that state of joy, then one will see that it creates some disturbing effect on the mind and even maybe on the body. The state of joy, of elation or rapture, it's, it involves a certain element of excitement, excitation, a certain kind of stimulation of the nerve. And it also excites, very easily it excites tanha, craving and clinging so that one clings to that joy and that bliss and that excitement. But if one examines it 
one sees that the joy, the rapture, the exhilaration, it's always accompanied by a very light shadow of disturbance. enervating stimulation and it's very susceptible to upadana, to clinging. And so one sees that in fact, though that joy is such a gratifying state, one sees that it is a defect, a corruption. And then Through the Buddha's teaching, one learns that there is a state of concentration superior to the second jhana, a state in which there is none of this rapture, but just pure happiness, pure bliss, sukha, freed from that gross and disturbing element or factor of rapture. And so with that knowledge and understanding and having reflected on the defect in the second jhana and reflected on the third jhana as superior, then again one renews the practice of concentration, refines the mind further until when the faculties are all matured, then one enters and dwells in the third jhana. And that is described in paragraph 17. Okay, again, with the fading away as well of rapture. A bhikkhu abides in equanimity and mindful and fully aware, still experiencing sukha or happiness with the body. He enters upon and abides in the third jhana on account of which the Noble Ones announce He has a pleasant abiding who has equanimity and is mindful. So in this formula, the Buddha indicates first what happens or what has to happen in order to ascend from the second jhana to the third jhana. That is, in the first phrase, the fading away or dropping away of piti, of rapture, of elation. And so, once piti drops away, then there will remain only two factors. One pointed uh, happiness, which is sukha, and one-pointedness, a covenant. But when the Buddha expresses the formula, declares the formula, he mentions certain other qualities which are not 
actual jhana factors, but they seem to be auxiliary mental states which become especially prominent in the achievement of the third jhana. And I think we should understand that these states have been present all along in the practice of concentration. But because of the presence of piti, rapture, they were in a somewhat secondary, subordinate position. They were, I say, covered up so that one couldn't really see them very prominently in their own right. Maybe we could compare this to some of the stars on a night when there's a bright moon. The stars maybe are in the sky, present in the sky, but one doesn't see those stars because there's bright moonlight. And the bright moonlight overwhelms the stars, and so one doesn't know that the stars are present, even though they are. But then when the moon starts to diminish in size, and the nights become darker, then one sees these other stars in the sky. And one realizes, ah, all along those stars were there. But just because of the moonlight, I couldn't see them. And so piti, rapture, is like the moonlight, which in its brightness blacks out, one might say, the dim stars, the light stars. But when piti falls away, then these other qualities become much more prominent in the mind. These qualities are equanimity, mindfulness, and full awareness. That's upeka, sati, and sampajanta. Upeka here is, you might call this, balance of mind. Or the commentary uses the expression tatra tatram, tatramajitatta, which means centeredness of mind, or the middle state of mind. Of not being swayed by extremes, not being disturbed and upset by changing, fluctuating circumstances. And so that equanimity is present all the ways through the process of developing concentration. But in the first jhana, second jhana, it's submerged. And with the attainment of the third jhana, then equanimity comes out into the open, just like these stars that shine when the moon diminishes. And then there is mindfulness and full awareness, sati and sampajanya. These two absolutely have to be present 
through the entire process of meditation without mindfulness of the object, without mindfulness of one's state of mind, without having a full awareness or clear comprehension of the whole process of meditation practice, then there cannot be any development of concentration. But now that piti has faded away, then mindfulness and full awareness just rise up like stars in their own right. And so rapture is gone, equanimity, mindfulness and full awareness have become prominent, and the meditator is still feeling pleasure with the body, that is, he's experiencing sukha with, actually according to the commentary, with the mind or mental body, the namakaya. But the experience is so powerful that it seems as if that pleasure or happiness is being experienced by the physical body. And then, through these factors, he enters and abides in the third jhana, of which it is said that he has a pleasant abiding, since he has equanimity and is mindful. So that is the formula for the third jhana. Then the Buddha gives the extended extension of that formula along with the simile. He makes that pleasure divested of piti, or I would say he makes the happiness divested of rapture, drenched, steep, fill, and pervade this body so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by that happiness divested of piti, of rapture. I think it's ni piti kan sukha, is the Pali. Ni piti means without piti. It's a state of bliss without the excitement of rapture and exhilaration. Then the Buddha again takes a very beautiful simile. Just as there might be a pond of lotus flowers, blue, red, or white lotus flowers, and there are some lotus flowers that are born and grow in the water and thrive in the water without ever emerging and rising up above the water, then the cool water of the pond drenches, steeps, fills, and pervades those lotus flowers right from their tips, from the top, the tips of the petals on the top, all the way down to the roots below, so that there is no part of those lotus flowers not pervaded by cool water. 
In the same way the bhikkhu makes the pleasure or the happiness divested of of rapture, the pleasure or bliss free from rapture, he makes that bliss drench, steep, fill, and pervade this body, this physical body, that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pleasure or by the happiness, bliss, devoid of rapture. Okay, that is the attainment of the third jhana. And for an ordinary person who <laughs> doesn't have guidance of the Dhamma, if he should reach the third jhana, then he is now absolutely certain and convinced that this is it, this is the ultimate. This is the supreme and highest attainment. Now I'm an enlightened one, an arahant, a liberated one. But the Buddha points out that there is, even in the line of concentration, a state of samadhi beyond the third jhana, and this is the fourth jhana. And to achieve the fourth jhana, the process is the same, or the, the principles are the same as for achieving the other jhana. One has to see the fourth in that jhana, in the third jhana, and reflect that there is a state beyond it, a state superior to it. And what is the fourth in the, in the third jhana? The fourth is in terms of the feeling that is present. That feeling is the feeling of sukha, pleasure, or The Buddha teaches that there are three kinds of feelings. Painful feeling, it's dukkha vedana. Pleasant feeling, which is sukha vedana, and what's called adukama sukha vedana, which is, say it's neutral feeling, or equanimous feeling. Now, Dukkha feeling, painful feeling, generally we want to get rid of. It's not, not pleasant. <laughs> it's painful, distressing, disturbing. So that feeling one doesn't want to have under any occasion. Then there are kinds of neutral feeling which are inferior. We shouldn't think that neutral feeling is always superior to pleasant feeling. Like when we're just bored and indifferent about something. Then in a state of boredom there is neither pleasure nor pain. 
but just indifference or neutral feeling. But that's not the very lofty or high kind of neutral feeling. But then there are other types of neutral feeling which are very refined, very pure. And those types of neutral feeling are actually superior even to the spiritual types of pleasant feeling. And so in the scale of concentration, in order to reach the highest layers of samadhi, highest levels of samadhi, the pleasant feeling, the blissful feeling, has to drop away and give way to this neutral feeling, feeling which is pure equanimity, neither pleasant nor painful. And so, to go from the third jhana to the fourth jhana, one begins by examining the flaw or defect in the third jhana. And one sees that the third jhana has the defect in that bliss or pleasant feeling is painful. And that pleasant feeling compared to neutral feeling is a little disturbing, even in such a lofty state as the third jhana. It involves a little bit of arousing attachment and clinging. Of course, one enjoys pleasure. If one is indifferent to pleasure, then the pleasure will go its own way. But because the mind craves for pleasant feeling, when one enters the third jhana, and even after mastering it to some degree, there might still be a very, very light, delicate clinging to that blissful, pleasant feeling. And that clinging is the root of suffering, even if its object is so sublime and elevated as the third jhana. And so the Buddha teaches that the meditator who wants to perfect samadhi has to see that defect in the third jhana and to see and understand the superiority of the fourth jhana. And so first he contemplates in that way then applies the mind to the development of concentration and when the practice matures then there comes the abandoning here we come back to the formula with the abandoning of pleasure and pain and with the previous disappearance of joy and grief these are different names for pleasant and painful feelings pleasant feeling and painful feeling. Sometimes it's said that pleasure and pain, in the first phrase, that refers to bodily pleasure and bodily pain. Then the previous disappearance of joy and grief, that refers to mental pleasure and mental pain. 
So to attain the fourth jhana, the meditator has to completely overcome those two divided types of feeling, pleasant feeling, those two opposed types of feeling, pleasant feeling and painful feeling. And when he overcomes those opposite feelings, then the mind enters into neutral feeling, what's called neither painful nor pleasant feeling. In Pali, Adukama Sukhaveda. And that is the feeling which is characteristic of the fourth child. And so what takes place in attaining the fourth jhana is that the factor, the jhana factor of sukha in the third jhana drops away and is replaced by neutral feeling, by this feeling which is neither painful nor pleasant. And because neutral feeling is pleasant in the fourth jhana, then the mind reaches a state which is called purity of mindfulness due to equanimity. Palisati Upeka Parisuti. That is, the equanimity becomes so strong that mindfulness, sati, reaches a state of complete purity. And so the Buddha mentions as auxiliary additional factors in the fourth jhana this mindfulness and equanimity. And then the Buddha says that the meditator sits pervading his body with a pure, bright mind, this mind of the fourth jhana, so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pure, bright mind. Then he gives a simile that it is just as if a man were sitting covered from the head down with a white cloth so that there would be no part of his whole body which is not covered by that white cloth, not pervaded by that white cloth. The white cloth is just covering the body from the top down to the legs. And so the bhikkhu sits pervading this body with this pure, bright mind, so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the pure, bright mind. And that marks the achievement of the fourth jhana. And that will be the mastery of concentration. Even though the texts mention also, some other texts mention four stages of concentration beyond this, what they call the four formless achievements, arupa jhanas. But in many other passages, the Buddha just stops with the fourth jhana. 
I think that's sufficient to guarantee mastery of samadhi. Okay, so I think we will stop the explanation at this point. Then if there are any questions, then I will answer. Any questions pertaining to the material covered here? Please feel free to ask. Any, any questions? In fact, when you move Anapan Sati, yeah. you have the stages, Vichara and Arjuna. Yeah. You can go direct that way or come into the same thing. Excuse me? Can you, must you come into these and go into the Vipassana or just take off the counter uh, emblem and mm. you have uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, is it the same thing as the path of Vipassana? Is that what you asked? Yes. No, it's a, this is completely the path of Samadhi. This path does not necessarily have anything to do with Vipassana. All that can be said is that the attainment of the jhanas can be used as a base or support for the practice of vipassana. Because in order for the insight to mature and to to bring its results, the actual insight or wisdom, there has to be some degree of concentration. And so the stronger the degree of concentration, then the stronger base there is for developing insight. Because also the practice of vipassana meditation requires samadhi. And so if a meditator goes to the jhanas, then he'll have a very sound foundation of samadhi for practicing vipassana. But just the development of jhana itself will not necessarily bring insight. It won't bring panya. There has to be intentional development of vipassana. And that comes through developing sati or mindfulness in a different way than it's developed in the context of samadhi meditation. In samadhi meditation, the mindfulness is used primarily to keep the mind fixed on the object. So one examines the mind with mindfulness to know when it's straying from the object, when to bring the mind back to the object, to know what kind of disturbances are present in the mind, how to eliminate them. And so the mindfulness is being used in the service of samadhi. But in order to develop insight, then the mindfulness has to be used to fix upon and examine the changing processes of body and mind. Not just the single object, but the changing processes. Then it's through repeated noting, 
observation of the changing processes that there comes the awareness first of impermanence, then from impermanence, dukkha and dinaka, suffering and egolessness. Does that answer the question? Is that the question? Yes. Okay. okay, any additional questions? Okay, then we will conclude for this evening and continue next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.